Hello there. I'm Siobhan McClay, she, her. And I'm Jen Jackson, she, her. This is season two of Embodiment for the Rest of Us, a podcast series exploring topics within the intersections that exist in fat liberation. In this show, we interview professionals and those with lived experience alike to learn how they are affecting radical change and how we can all make this world a safer and more welcoming place for those living in larger bodies and those historically marginalized who should be centered, listened to, and supported. Captions and content warnings are provided in the show notes for each episode, including specific timestamps, so that you can skip triggering content anytime that feels supportive to you. This podcast is a representation of our co-host and guest experiences and may not be reflective of yours. These conversations are not medical advice and are not a substitute for mental health or nutrition support. In addition, the conversations held here are not exhaustive in scope or depth. These topics, these perspectives are not complete and are always in process. These are just highlights. Just like posts on social media or any other podcast, this is just a glimpse. We are always interested in any feedback on this process if something needs to be addressed. You can email us at listener, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, at embodimentfortherestofus.com. And now for today's episode. Welcome to episode five of our second season of the Embodiment for the Rest of Us podcast. On today's episode, we have an encore follow-up interview with the generous and inviting Chelsea Levy, she, her, in a continued conversation about her embodiment journey and nuanced perspective on relational healing and nourishment. Chelsea is a certified eating intuitive counselor and registered dietitian nutritionist. She earned her master of science from Hunter College and completed her dietetic internship at the city of New York CUNY School of Public Health. Chelsea utilizes health at every size, Hayes principles in her approach to nutrition therapy. She works with individuals struggling with disordered eating and eating disorders with a focus on weight-inclusive medical nutrition therapy, body image healing, and intuitive eating. Chelsea has interest in treating individuals with diabetes and polycystic ovarian syndrome, or PCOS, along with folks who are in larger bodies, those who are transgender or non-binary. She believes it is vital to provide care relevant to an individual's culture, ethnicity, and overall identities. Chelsea hosts a collaborative space for the exploration of food and body healing through creativity and compassion. You can find Chelsea at her website, chelsealeavynutrition.com, and on Instagram at chelsealeavynutrition. Thank you so much for being here, listening, and holding space with us, dear listeners. And now for today's Encore episode. The second season has been full of distinction, and our first interview with Chelsea Levy, she, her, was no exception. Chelsea is joining us from Manhattan, New York City, to follow up on our powerful first conversation two months ago and to continue talking about embodiment. There are so many things to explore together in nuanced conversation. So let's begin. How are you as a human being doing today, Chelsea? Hello. 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 Um... I'm happy to be back. Thank you for having me here. Welcome back. Yay. <laughs> <Thank you>. <laughs> <laughs> um, my being is tired, really tired. And, and I was thinking a lot about um, how much unlearning I'm doing as well as continuing to learn in my embodiment journey. 
and mm. where that lands around my energy, which is, mm. yeah, it's a, uh, it's something to continue to look at. Mm. And, um, mm. yeah, I wonder just sort of thinking about, um, anyone who's gone through an education process that, um, yeah, has you learning in a certain way that's holding space for research that doesn't consider all bodies. What do we do with that? Where do we go emotionally? Um, how do we express that to ourselves, to our clients? And how do we actually take the time and space to then go and unlearn that mm. as we are working as professionals? Mm. Mm. Um, oh, it's hard. It is not easy. <laughs> no wonder you're tired. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. It, yeah. I, I'm also really excited and pumped about it. And I get FOMO about like unlearning courses that are intersectional. I want to do them all. Um, mm. And I feel really enlivened by them. And there's only so many hours um, that I can be awake and get stuff done in the day. So my being is sort of, I feel like silly petty that's being like pulled in different mm. directions, but, um, it comes back together, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, I relate analogy, to that. The silly putty. Yeah, for sure. I can absolutely <laughs> yes. understand that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I was going to say I relate. Mm-hmm. I feel pulled yes. in a lot of directions mm-hmm. and learning and unlearning are both exhausting and they feel mm-hmm. like they counteract each other as they should. Um, and, um, it takes a while for it to integrate the learning and the unlearning. I mean, it's exhausting. So um, I'm just sitting in that exhaustion with you. I feel that today. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm um, just for those out there. It's been it's been a tough couple of weeks, uh, a couple of days politically, and I just you know collectively feel feel the mourning. And my love language is touch and hugs Mm. and if I could be with the two of you right now and give you a hug I would yeah I would would give you one right back yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly hopefully one day in the future well we're so glad to have you back Chels and um we had such a powerful extended conversation last time I wanted to jump and just sit with one of those things and sort of get us going again how does that feel I love it let's do it so if we revisit the second half of our podcast name, The Rest of Us, I'm curious what that means to you today. Yeah. Um, embodiment for the rest of us, it's finding space to live in your body and hold space for your feelings for, for folks who are marginalized to me, for othered people, wherever you are, whatever sort of representation you hold, um, if you're underrepresented or marginalized in any way, you don't see yourself. It's hard to embody yourself, um, physically and emotionally holding in the present moment. And, um, Mm -hmm. thinking about that as, as how I hold that understanding of what it is, what, who the rest of us are, where, where, you know, people of color, where people in larger bodies, um, transgendered, non-binary, people who have experienced intense trauma, you know, whether it's poverty or abuse, 
that this other space is for you. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, I think the word that I hear when you say that is welcome. Mm. Oh, yeah. Welcome and, you know, hold, hold as much space in your body that you can that feels safe. Mm-hmm. Because it's a process to really fully be in yourself in a safe way when it has never been safe to be you. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and space in the world. I could hear that being expansive. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think the goal for me is where's, where's the most freedom for anyone to really feel that connection to themselves and others the most to be present in whatever's coming up in your life. And, um, for a lot of people that that's not a safe place. And so I, I find it really important to hold space for those folks, um, in the work that I do. And I continue to do my unlearning of where my privileges holds walls into creating more space for others. Mm-hmm. Where can I bring down those walls and step back, um, lift others up? Where can I lift mm-hmm. myself up where I haven't been able to? Um, and where can we connect? Hmm. Since we are recording, um, a few months later, has that definition changed for you in the last few months or is it where you were sitting before when you talked about the rest of us? What do you think? I think in a general sense, it's the same, but it's Mm. always growing. It's getting more nuanced. Um, in just where my blinders are and where for myself and for others, you know, where can I be more expansive in my embodiment um, so that I can, yeah, be connected and give space or take space. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That feels different. I feel like I'm connecting myself in it in a more vulnerable way. Mm. And maybe before it was like, here I am on the outside looking in at embodiment, which mm. isn't really embodiment. It's the concept of embodiment. But I'm, I am, yeah, I think I'm trying to like, yeah, step into that vulnerability as a practitioner, as a human being for, for it all as much as I can. Mm. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. Thanks for asking it like that. <laughs> What embodiment practices do you recommend for folks experiencing various stages of eating disorder recovery? How does one sense of embodiment impact nourishment and digestion, especially in eating disorder recovery and one's relationship with food and body? Also, what caveats or exit strategies do you offer to resist re-traumatization or if any part of the process is overly stimulating? Yeah, these are such great questions and mm, we like lighthearted very simple <laughs> ones can you tell <laughs> very short very short yeah oh. I love it no I love it and it's such a great question because you know I'm working with behavioral health I'm working on a multidisciplinary team and so I do want to caveat that as a dietitian in behavioral health yeah I'm holding space for um some deeper sort of trauma showing up then maybe you're more run-of-the-mill nutrition counseling you expect. And so um, 
I definitely lean into the expertise of my team to assess what is necessary and safe for my clients in terms of what level of embodiment they can go to. And with permission with the team after assessment, really holding that space for my clients within the realm of food and body image healing. And that can look really individual and different for, for the person. For some, they have more access to the breath. And if we can get to that breath, I love working with breath as I have studied yoga and pranayama breath work. And that brings you into the body directly into that present moment. But often that is not a safe place for folks with eating disorders um, who are trying to not feel their feelings or, you know, the sensations of digestion and eating. So um, I sometimes think it's okay to distract from those sensations so that we can get food in. And that is a form of sort of harm reduction um, in the process of getting to embodiment. Um, maybe we are going to have certain topics of conversation that are lighter while we're eating versus if we're not eating together in session, then we might have a deeper conversation where we can have really, really uncomfortable feelings in the body and hold space for them. Um, for some, it's, it's about, um, you know, sensory details, like, do I need a weighted blanket? Do I need to turn the lights dimmer? Do I need to turn on a fan or off? Um, yeah. How is the temperature? Do I need a layer? All of those pieces. And can I take up space in the room I'm in and be reminded of it? You know, like, let's take a minute and can I stretch my arms out? Mm -hmm. And like, how does it feel in my fingers and drawing attention to those things? If, mm -hmm. if it feels okay, or it, it's, it's accepted sort of letting the person I'm working with direct me into what sort of level of discomfort they're willing to go into. But again, caveated with, I've talked to the psychiatrist and the therapist on the team about what really is appropriate for this particular person. Mm -hmm. um, trying to think if there's anything else there that would be pertinent to that. Um, I love getting silly if someone was willing to, um, pets, bringing pets into screen, playing music. Sometimes I was, uh, doing interpretive dance before in between our cuts on the podcast and it brought up <laughs> some silliness and levity. This is something that I would definitely get into with my clients. Um, we'll dance sometimes we'll get up and just shake it out. Um, sometimes we have nervous energy. We need to let it move through us. So, um, yeah. Sometimes it's fluttering our lips um, and sometimes it's cursing. I don't know. It depends. That also depends on the comfort level of the person. Do they enjoy expressing themselves through a particular language that is, you know, maybe not as accepted in your typical conversations? <laughs> that might feel like a release, you know? So uh, we get really creative um, about ways to let things move through us. And, um, in terms of like what foods we eat, that gets really individual too, into what type of, you know, diagnosis is this, how far along in terms of how much nourishment is this person getting already? 
um, if they have intensely gastric emptying called gastroparesis, we might avoid certain foods. Um, and in other cases, we might have more flexibility. So it, it depends mm. on the, on the person and, um, mm. also what we're working on in terms of challenges for some people, um, mm eating starches and different types of carbohydrates is really safe. And for others, it's really scary. Mm -hmm. um, for some people eating fruits is terrifying and others um, it's a really comfy thing to eat, <laughs> eat a bowl of fruit. So it depends um, on the individual and what we're working on. Mm. Ultimately. Mm. Even before you said the word harm reduction, harm reduction was like flitting around <laughs> in my head. And oh yes. A few thoughts. That, that was the first one that came to mind. And then you said you um, like to add some levity, you know, add some humor. And I, we haven't known each other very long, clearly, but that's something that comes to mind always when I interact with you is that you somehow can ground people, but also make them feel lighter at the same time. I don't know what word that is. Like, I don't know how you're like, because when I think of grounding, it's lower, but then levity is, I don't know. Anyway, but I think that that's a really good Ooh. skill that you have. Um of creating the safe place where you can be either, well, you can be both grounded and have some lightness to it. I really, really appreciate that for sure. Mm, I agree with that. Exactly. There is a tethering to groundedness while also being, it's like a balloon on a string, but the string is somewhere. Yes. Right? You're not just floating in the wind. The phrase that was coming to mind for me was autonomous choice. I could hear how someone interacting with you has the ability to make choices. Yes, mm. I want to try that with you. No, I don't want to try that mm. with you. When it comes to mm -hmm. a multidisciplinary team, it's like, let's be careful with this client. Um, something like X might be pushing them too far. Let's try to sit in a space where we're not in that level of discomfort, but a different level that they can uh, tolerate, sit with, um, find the edges of um, without too much distress, that kind of thing. So I was thinking about that autonomous choice. Um, mm. uh, it like lights up a passionate fire in me to think about autonomous choice, especially in traditional eating disorder treatment. It's often taken um, mm. temporarily or extremely long-term or somewhere in between. And I was just thinking about how I wasn't hearing that in what you were saying um, and how mm. beautiful that is to me. It's a goal of mine as well, that it's not um, clamping down and containing clients until they submit but it's more like how expansive can they be and what amount of expansiveness feels okay today? Like they're allowed to have boundaries. They're allowed to say, no, they're allowed to say, I don't know. I could hear all of that in what you were saying. So it was just like, that makes me go, yes, this is a place where I'd like to sit as I already know about you, Chelsea. But that was, that was just sitting with me. Thank you to you both. I love, um, both remarks and, um, the idea of bringing a groundedness and then levity at the same time and the imagery of a balloon feels really on point. And then autonomous choice, um, it's just the perfect, um, term for it. I, I really am not into trying to coerce people into choosing, uh, you know, choosing a certain behavior that I, know to be safe if that's not safe for them in their mind you know we have to get there on their timeline and I can give them the information about the harm and ultimately we have to take 
take the time and space to get there together mm-hmm. in that collaboration. Um, because mm-hmm. I think forcing anyone into uh, particular behaviors around food in particular, uh, it's like we might be able to correct that temporarily, but that might come with a whole lot of baggage of harm and it doesn't really um, bring long-term healing in terms of that behavior. Mm -hmm. So I want to show people that they have a choice in what they're doing and that it's safe to play with this space that may also be really scary and dangerous, Mm -hmm. but with a harm reduction model on the table. One thing you said in our last episode, because I listened to it last night and into this morning um, that I really like, and I had thought about it when we listened to it before and hadn't implemented it, but I'll definitely be doing it. It's like the idea of like harm reduction. If you can't take five deep breaths with me, how about one? Or can we practice it when you're not feeling heightened so that you can maybe access that a little bit later? I think that's a really kind and generous way to help encourage someone to tap into that self-care. Um, yeah. Yeah. That just feels really, really helpful. Absolutely. And I hadn't even thought about how embodiment can, well, everything impacts your physical body, right? So of course, embodiment impacts nourishment. Mm. That just feels really important to hone in on for me too. Mm. Something that, um, just came to mind was, um, and I haven't done any reading of this research, but I know that there's research out there about how, when you enjoy food, you absorb it better. Hmm. And obviously there's, you know, probably a continuum on that of like limitations to those sites of absorption. If there's, I don't know, Hmm. uh, like altered GI or something, but, but that makes so much sense to me because when we're not enjoying things, we might be clenching, um, Hmm. our like villi in the GI tract might not have the expansiveness to absorb as much. So I have to look into this, but I I do think that the idea of pleasure activism, um, I have the Mm. book here, but that it's, which is not specifically about what we're talking about, but I just love the, but it also is, but it is. is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I love the idea of leaning into pleasure and if pleasure is not accessible, um, I think neutrality is the place. Mm-hmm. to start is maybe the window into mm-hmm. body image healing, but also into mm-hmm. maybe getting to a place of enjoyment around food. And I, I just find it the most exciting thing to think about in like the, mm-hmm. the idea of learning to enjoy food. Mm-hmm. If you haven't before, it, I don't know, it's exciting. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's it getting is. to be a more of a human being than you were able to be before, mm-hmm. which is so amazing. Um, and all I have an article, I'll send it. We'll have it in our show notes. You are less oxygenated when you're in your stress response, right? If we think about the rest and digest nervous system and the, um, I don't remember how they term the other one, but it's like, um, fight or flight, probably some of the, um, adrenaline based responses, right? When we're sitting in those spaces, we don't have oxygen for digestion. Our body's never going to prioritize it. So how Mm -hmm. can we move into that space? I love that. So there's my nerdy answer. It's about oxygen. We can't digest without oxygen. (laughs) Nutrition is the process of digestion is something that I do not hear said enough in didactic programs for dietitians by dietitians. 
It is the process. It's not the nutrients in the food. Are those important for the process? Absolutely. But the answer, like where we're looking is a super dynamic biochemical process that's completely unique to each person. And so when we can look at smaller systems inside of that, like, are they even oxygenated? Like if they're not able to get oxygenated with us, that's not going to be safe. It's not going to work. Even if they eat the food, they're not going to be able to digest it. They're going to have an upset stomach, GI tract digestion. It's not going to feel good. We're not going to feel safe. So what mm-hmm. I was just sitting with and thinking about is that when I, like autonomous choice is probably something I think I say that every single day, <laughs> autonomous choice, autonomous choice. It's so important to me that I'm not taking that from anyone. I name it. I explain it. I say how it might sit in a situation. Um, have I taken that from you? right? Where is the nuance for you? That, that sort of look, I was really thinking about that while you were talking, like life in a human body is where oxygen is flowing, right? If we think about Mm. functional MRI, how we visual, I'm totally nerding out. As we think about functional MRI, looking at the brain in real time, where does the blood and therefore oxygen flow? Like what's getting lit up? What's happening? Um, when, there is um, a gate or a ceiling or something like that on being able to process something, food, uh, information from outside the body. You know, mental health is physical health. Mental pain is physical Mm. pain. How do those Mm. things get in the way? I was just sort of sitting, I think I'm gonna have to do a journal topic on this because it's making me realize that I talk about this all the time, but I like don't go quite this far with it. And I want to sit with myself at this level Um, that like, Really, I I say functional MRI because we can imagine blood flowing to an area of our brain. So we can also Mm -hmm. imagine it flowing to an area of our digestion. That's why nutrition is always about the process. Um, It's also like ideas, like when things can get like, I better be careful and only have certain kinds of quote unquote healthy food is actually a restrictive process. Like it's not just the opposite of getting what you need. It's that blood flow and oxygen are restricted. I try to think about it in a, a body term like that, especially inside of a conversation like this about embodiment, because whether or not they want to be safe with us is very different than I feel safe. Blood is flowing to safe areas. I can safely digest. That's very different from, from want, right? It's not a mental exercise. It's a somatic cell spot, right? Deep in our individual cells kind of um, practice. So Mm -hmm. there, I've totally nerded out on that, but it made me think of so many things related to flow and oxygen and, and choices of flow too. Yeah. I think we, we choose to overemphasize on the food and not the experience, the embodiment of the food so that we can actually break this down, digest it and absorb it Mm. at sight into ourselves, into our bloodstream that oxygen is flowing on. to all our organs and brain that makes a lot of sense and it's it's all part of the journey of healing Mm. when you were talking I was starting to think about and this is just a whole other like nerd out moment but just the complications around digestion that happen with eating disorder clients um because of their microbiome being altered because of the hormones that are not produced enough in the brain, um, you know, particularly like serotonin and, um, other, other hormones that might interact 
So that complicates the process of digestion and absorption in and then there's that added stress response of trauma. It's so complicated. So to find space expansiveness, room to breathe, to find space to open up and not clench our jaw, to take a deep breath. Uh, these are powerful, you know, places to lean into self-care. And um, it's more than just, I don't know, you know, taking a breath, right? It's, it's really mm. part of the whole, it's part of the whole train moving along. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. Not just the cargo or not just the, not just the engine. I was going to say caboose, but that been the wrong part of the train. For the it's, it's just, yeah. <laughs> like we, we forget to breathe sometimes and we, and, um, well, it's all connected because everything's moving, nothing's static, mm. right? everything's moving we got to keep connecting to this movement in the body um so that we can thrive mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was thinking we've had a lot of therapists on this podcast so it's really exciting to have another <laughs> dietitian so I could just watch you two nerd out I'm like oh, <laughs> I have no idea what you're saying but it's really interesting so I'm really really excited to watch you two interact like I just wanted to say that that's just really fun for me it's really fun to be present and an honor to be a part of this conversation even if I'm writing a lot of words down that I have to look up <laughs> um, I'm glad I'm glad um, I love to nerd out with Jen always we do it on a very constant basis. <laughs> I love to listen. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> so um, before we get back into any yeah questions you might have I, I, on this topic, and Jen, you might have some things. I mean, you're both welcome to add, but Jen, you might have some specific um, understanding around this. But the idea that um, in restriction particularly in anorexia there can be a heightened anxiety around carbohydrates we know we we know this to be true around uh about particular macronutrients that one in particular seems to be really scary for this uh population and what we know in the brain is that the more <laughs> carbohydrates you eat the higher your serotonin levels can be like happy people eat carbohydrates. However, when you have lower serotonin levels, when you eat the carbs and it raises your serotonin, it can be overwhelming. It's like turning on the lights from dim to bright. And Mm. that experience in the body can be really overwhelming. So when people talk about people with anorexia in particular, talk about this experience, um, sometimes I think it's dismissed like, oh, you're, you're just afraid of carbs. You know, you'll get used to them. I mean, there's also other complications, like I had mentioned before around gastroparesis and delayed um, nutrients from the stomach that can make things even more uncomfortable around digestion and bloating. But that added sort of uh, nuance of when I eat this food, I feel even a, a more intensity I think we need to hold space for that with compassion because it is a process to um, acclimate to getting those serotonin levels high enough to eat Mm. enough carbohydrates regularly. I mean, Mm. 
Mm. Obviously it's it's so complex, but like, Mm. I don't know. It's just something that I don't think is talked about enough. And like with clients directly to just say, Hey, like this, you're not going crazy. This is happening in your body. This is, Mm -hmm. we know, we understand this from a biochemistry level. We understand what's happening a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, um, we can sit here with you through this discomfort Mm. if you're willing. Absolutely. Holding space for clients where we are uncomfortable and they are uncomfortable. Even if we understand it's uncomfortable to sit with someone who fears something that they desperately need. That's just a hard space. Um, Did you, Jen, have any anything specific like around the serotonin levels or? Sure. <laughs> What's concerned <laughs> about? Um, so we create most of our serotonin inside of our intestines. Yeah. It's not just a functional communication tool hormonally for the brain. It's created in the gut. We absolutely right. cannot create enough or keep it around, right? There's words like tonicity, the tone of serotonin, how often we keep it around. Um, uh, medication works on reuptaking it, right? Don't get rid of it. Keep it going. Keep it going. But in the body with food, we can ask for more serotonin to be generated and for it to stick around. So in other words, we feel the effects of that that are um, in like a mood sense, uplifting, even euphoric, but you were talking about like the light switch coming on euphoria, just like empathy. I always think about these two words starting with E. I don't know why it keeps me remembering them both. Euphoria can be an invitation for things to escalate too quickly for a client. So it is re-traumatizing. So it's something to do steady and at the client's pace and full of that patience and compassion and understanding that you were talking about. Um, I am very open in my practice and talking with my clients about harm from other dietitians. I hold space for that Um, harm from traditional treatment models. I hold space for that because they often involve them not having that autonomous choice that I mentioned earlier and also being pushed to the lights are on and I have sensory overload and everything is too much. Um, And so anything that feels like it holds space, um, I don't keep information from my clients. I nerd out with my clients on a regular basis to whatever level feels okay for them. I have like sometimes for different kinds of information, I have tiers of how nerdy I'm going to get depending on what the current capacity is or what feels okay. Um, Because I don't want to keep things from clients. And I really get that from you too, Chelsea, and you as well. Um, Siobhan, it's, there's a transparency level. That's why I love having a podcast with Siobhan. There's a transparency level to what is being offered. So the choice can actually be for other people. Do you want to listen to this podcast episode? Here's what it's going to contain, right? Here's the content warning. Here's the trigger warning. Um, Do you want to hear more about this information? Here's what it might be about and what it might feel like. How do you feel now that I've shared that with you? Do you want to continue? And like, we can stop those conversations at any time. There's no rush. We can talk about it next time. Things don't have to be on our time. That's what I mean about the traditional treatment model and with the way dietitians are usually taught in a didactic way in their internship and also in practice through continuing education. We don't have to go so fast. I think that's something that I'm sitting with right now from what you asked and what you shared. We don't have to go so fast. We can name that something is hard. You know, in our larger culture, there's a naming of like, oh, they're overreacting, right? Major events in the news being in a pandemic in an ongoing way, that there's an idea that there could be any kind of overreaction is absolutely ridiculous to my mind. Like, how are we even functioning at any level? 
much less optimal levels, right? Like, how are we even functioning? I have no idea how I continue to function. I don't know how my clients continue to function, mm-hmm. right? Like, how are we continuing to function? It gets harder over time. So there may even be a need for more ease and gentleness over time, not less. Like, there's like this kind mm-hmm. of idea that like, once they get nourished to a certain point, they should be able to handle this. And now I can really go at them with the stuff they have to do. But I just want to sit with gentleness instead. Okay. Off my yeah. soapbox. I got really passionate on soapbox. I loved it. It was great. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Like meet people yeah. where they are today, even if they were yeah. in a different place last time. Mm-hmm. And even if next time it's different, it's waves, right? Life is waves. Let's ride I mean, them with clients. And where's like, who says like the shit, where's that shit and where did it come from? Right. Right. Toxic people. Anyway, <laughs> there, that's my guess. Actually, this really relates to the next question. Does that feel okay for me to transition or am I skipping over anything? Can I say one quick thing? Of course. Okay. Got it checked. Oh, it's just a quick little, it just makes one thing I was sitting with as you two were talking, in addition to just watching you and loving watching you nerd out. Um, it just shows how important multidisciplinary work is like, um, um, you can do the the nerding out. This is why this is happening to your body with the serotonin. Well, but, and then the therapist can be the one that handles the what's happening to your body on, a, on an emotional level if you're incorporating these carbohydrates. It's just really, it just, I, it just really makes me really grateful for multidisciplinary teams that exist and people who are able to access that care. So you can get help. You can get support from different facets and different people have different knowledge about the same thing to make sure it's more encompassing view. I think that's great. I think it's really great. I love multidisciplinary teams. And I believe that we would benefit if they existed across like all of medicine, not just in behavioral health. Absolutely. Um, You know, yeah, we would all benefit from that. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. Yes, 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 yes. Um, And it also is like highlighting for me and sitting for me clients who are not able to access a multidisciplinary team, um, how much of the burden of knowledge, processing, integration, how am I emotionally, right? All those sorts of things fall on them, right? It makes recovery, recovering, coping harder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It makes things continually re-traumatizing. Right. It's, it's, it's hard. It can still be harm reductive, but the reduction in harm is far, far less than if they're going to multiple spaces and hearing similar things. Then, um, then if the team is able to communicate and they say, well, I heard you talked about this. Is it okay to talk about that in here? Cause that seemed really important to you, right? Inviting a conversation to be continual because it is. Um, and making that easier. It's just more relational, right? Where the relationship yeah. is different with each practitioner, with any client or patient when there are other practitioners. There's a depth that can be reached. Absolutely. Um, that's, I notice that all the time. There's a difference in the depth. Makes me sad every time I think or say that, um, that the depth can't always be there. Um, when someone doesn't have access, which is not their fault. They didn't do anything to make that happen. That's just the what they've been 
handed, right? And even the idea of pursuing that when they don't have access is just another burden on them. I mean, it's, it makes it harder. It's why talking about food insecurity, like, are you hungry most of the time growing up? Do you have access to food? Why those conversations are so important inside of an eating disorder conversation or before one, right? Because they're, they're so, um, I think a stat I heard last week, it's, it's at least over half, I think it was 60% of people who are accessing a food bank, a food pantry, something like that, um, have, um, recognizable eating disorder symptoms. Like it's just, it's sad. Um, so it's, a. am so grateful for being on a multidisciplinary team when I can be, um, I don't want to overshadow how hard it is for the practitioner, but I also want to emphasize that it is the hardest on the person going through the eating disorder recovery and coping. Right. It's an, that's what I meant. I think this all started when I was like, it's an uncomfortable space to hold. Like I'm just kind of sitting in that uncomfortable spot right now. It's hard to hold those things. Um, yeah. and to, and to normalize that you can still go at your own pace, even if you don't have the same access as other people, I think is also really important. They don't get to see that in other people. Um, that they get to have space held for them at their own pace. But they also don't see some of the harm inside of eating disorder treatment, I guess, either. But what I'm really thinking about is it's hard to know what your pace should be if you don't have someone to bounce it off of in a context that's so hard and so new. Mm -hmm. So um, more soapboxing and nerding out. (laughs) I could do it all day. You know, I could. Um, (sighs) And this also like the, the question Siobhan, the questions Siobhan asked and the questions I'm about to ask feel very related to me um, because it's like leaning into that depth space that I was mm-hmm. just referring to. So something you and I talk about a lot, Chelsea, is that bodies are complex, biochemistry is complex, Um clinical experience is only one part of what's important. Evidence base mm-hmm. is only one part of what's important and lived experience. A client's lived experience is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Um, and we only get um, highlights, snapshots of what's going totally. on, right? Whatever they choose to tell us. So how do you help support clients um, to tune into the nuances of their lived experiences. And I'm just going to throw some words out there that I was thinking about that these words can be around, but it's really wherever your brain wants to go. Coping, Mm -hmm. recovery, aging, chronic illness and pain, mental health and needs, and just being a human being with a body. Ooh, yeah. Another Um, late question for me. (laughs) Very short really resonate all of them resonate and mm. sort of are incorporated in different ways into spaces that I hold with my clients and I think it's a autonomous choice it's that permission asking for permission staying in a space where I'm asking questions with permission I've gained trust and I can ask questions that I think are important for harm reduction around the level of motivation that might be there. Mm. What's not being said in the room that feels really important to talk about that's been mentioned before, or I know is a goal (laughs) or, you know, what goals might we need to reassess and bring in to consider together 
to focus on. I mean, of course I want to hold space for whatever a client wants to talk about in this, in the time they're with me. And of course, with the lens of nutrition and body image, um, and it can show up in all kinds of ways about maybe we're, maybe we're stressed at work or maybe it's something relational with a partner. Um, or maybe it's something internalized that we're like working on in our therapy or it's something with pharmacology that's being changed. And so there's barriers to Mm. meeting goals that we're working on. And so Mm. it's always really about where there's more space, where can there be more time and space to hold, to make more room for healing Um, I know that sounds super like mushy and cliche in general, maybe (laughs) not to me. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you. But I mean that, you know, like, I think sometimes people come in with this, like human doing instead of human being Mm -hmm. perfectionistic, capitalistic way. And I want to honor the whole person and slow down and check Mm -hmm. in with what we're working on. And find more space to stretch Mm. our motivation, our level of motivation, Mm. maybe. Mm. Um, So it might be for five minutes. We might talk about something totally different for the session, but for five minutes, we can hold space for something really hard and important that needs to come up Mm. and there's space for it. And that, and that's growth, Mm. you know, Mm. it depends on um, what's going on in other other times it's very technical and like, I need, I need help figuring out, like, I just don't like the way anything tastes and I need to figure out what to eat, how, like what to plan, um, what to wear. Um, what I like, yeah. Like, what do I do with how I feel in my body and showing up around other people and, you know, it, it can go in all kinds of directions. Yeah. Mm. So it's really just a lot of holding space, whatever it feels. I was going to say pressing, but that's not the right word, but whatever feels like it needs to be in the room at the moment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And that's where I think harm reduction really is always being held. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. It can be agendaless while also still having structure and a direction. Um. I mean, agendaless yeah, just, on our part. I mean, mm-hmm. obvious, I always say agendaless, and my brain like fills in an agenda. So that's what just happened hey. for me. <laughs> um, but there's like, I mean, like we can name why we're here together, right? Are we going, we're going towards the same place together, but I just mean a separate and distinct agenda. Mm-hmm. The coercion you were talking about earlier is the what I mean by agenda. Mm-hmm. Um Sitting in a space free from that harm reduction sometimes is someone needs to be listened to for a session about whatever is on their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, food, body, body image, it doesn't really matter. They just needed space held, right? That's also um, to have to show up and perform with a dietitian, with a therapist, with another member of a multidisciplinary team um, can be the opposite of harm reduction. Yeah. It'd be harmful. Um, so mm-hmm. I was just thinking and sitting with, um, after Siobhan was reflecting, um, 
like how the space holding where there isn't judgment, right? Human beings judge, but I mean, purposely holding a space without judgment, with patience, Mm -hmm. with compassion and where clients cannot disappoint us. Something I think about a lot with traditional eating disorder treatment is how disappointed professionals are with their clients and patients, health Mm. professionals. There Mm. is so much disappointment directed at patients that they, they, the fear and shame of that is so constant. I don't want to be a part of that. So I guess I'm just sitting with, I, I want, you're helping like reinforce or help me remember and recognize that I want to clearly state and have clients know that um, they can't disappoint me. They can come with yeah. anything and it will be received, yeah. mm-hmm. right? We can hold space for that. Yeah. And I think you have to be really intentional as a helping professional because eating disorders, eating food, body image, et cetera, are so fraught with all of these societal quote norms, unquote, these societal expectations. So there has to be really intentional space of there is no judgment. There is no disappointment here because I feel I'm not going to speak for dietitians, but at least as therapists, people who are coming in for help and support are so they already feel like they're doing wrong. And that's the last thing they need is for another person who's like, this is what you're doing wrong. So it's just, it's, it's a really intentional space that we have to hold. I think in, in terms of eating disorders. Ooh, to riff off that Siobhan, you're helping me realize that there's a specific harm that happens when we're disappointed and we collude with their eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, that's something I'm always trying to not do, but I'm just mm-hmm. realizing how easily directed we are in that direction when we hold disappointment and yes. when we hold judgment and we mm-hmm. point it at clients. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not every dietitian like me is willing to say, I get Uh, There are things that are harmful by other dietitians. I have to undo some things. Um, I have to invite them to another way because something has colluded with their eating disorder. Like they learn things in some traditional treatment models and with providers. Um, So sitting in a harm reductive space is sometimes sitting with that part as well. That makes me really itchy and uncomfortable to say out loud, Um, but Mm -hmm. I sit with it all the time. I actually can't think of a single exception to that. So it's, it's a hard space, but it's important that, that the safety is not conditional and that there isn't an alignment on our side with the judgment and disappointment of other people either. Mm, well, I'm going like hard and fast at this. <laughs> no, I mean, there's so much harm out there and, yeah. you know, I try to do my best to navigate people away from harm if I can help it. Mm. And as humans, I know that I'm unintentionally going to harm people just by doing what we do by talking and maybe there's something internalized that there's trauma that I don't understand Mm -hmm. or know about that's being activated. And Mm -hmm. that happening in our, in our space is, um, health space so that it can be maybe looked at closer with therapist on the team Mm -hmm. and, and worked on for more healing, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm always holding space for, there's no failing, I have a client who wants to get an A every week. She says, did I get an A? <laughs> and I, and I say, there's no grades. 
there are no grades <laughs> here because really there's there there's no um there's just no right or wrong way to do any of this and i would say the only thing is just there's harm like we want to try to avoid harm where mm-hmm. we can you know mm-hmm. yeah um, I'm sitting with how red my face has become and that I feel it being noticeably hot. There's nothing that rouses mm. me up more than, than someone else causing harm to a client of mine and that yeah. they, mm-hmm. that they still feel shame and fear from the stigma that was sent in their direction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. that they're trying, you know, clients work so, 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 so hard at healing, um, when, when they're given ideas to work so, so hard and it begins counteracting that it's just, it makes me angry. Right. And I can hold space for those human beings who did that harm and still not want it done to my clients. So I'm of sort course. of sitting with both, but it sure lights a fire under me <laughs> with my like see-through skin. It's just like nothing but redness that I'm seeing, uh. <laughs> which just sounds like a match for how I feel in my body. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for our next question, um, we're curious about what your take is on intuitive eating and or health at every size or haze and the current state of those modalities and conversations, especially considering the events of the last couple of months with the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics Evidence Analysis Library and the Hayes Books author and harm of fat, black, brown, indigenous, and people of color. Where do you think they fall short and how can they be expanded? Another easy light. Yeah, question. we're just real light today. So much, so much levity. I love it. <laughs> Next, we'll ask your favorite color. It'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. <laughs> you know, ours, there are headphones. For those listening, she can see us. Our favorite colors are on her Purple and blue, always. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's been so much going on, and I think it it's really needed to happen. It's indicative of the fact that a lot of people, I think thought that the author had come up with his as, and was the originator, which in fact they weren't. So mm. there's like course correction here that has needed to happen, um, to go back to the roots of health at every size to really honor the most marginalized and, um, hold more space for marginalized larger BIPOC folks to really be center stage and rewrite, rewrite the book. Mm, (laughs) Really? mm. I mean, that's, I'm excited. I get like, I'm getting tingly thinking about (laughs) that book to come, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And there are organizations that are coming together to, I think, take the next steps and what that could look like. So that feels really important in terms of the academy. I just lace. I I'm never shocked about the level of disappointment that I, uh, experienced by witnessing, uh, how much weight stigmatizing, mm. um, data they put out there. And, you know, some, some things I think about are that the folks that are on those boards, um, holding positions that are voted in are not there for very long. So in some ways that feels cozier, like, Oh, like I'm not aligned with what you've put out there. That's weight stigmatizing. And you're not going to be here in two years, but it Mm -hmm. continuously is being 
centered around thin white people in the research, in um, in the library, in the EAL. And um, even though there was pushback on that, nothing came of it. So it's like, do you really support these organizations? I think buying power is where our power is um, as a collective of people, like where, where can we make waves? We can protest, we can um, (laughs) petition, we can send in surveys to the board. We can let them know and communicate all we want. Um, I think the loudest communication is, is how we spend our, our dollars and cents. And so, Mm. you know, it's like, Hey, if you're not going to consider me, why should I be part of this community? I don't, I don't need to, to hold a credential. So Mm. if you want my money and my, my time, um, maybe, maybe you'll consider me in your decisions. Mm. Um, so that's sort of where I stand on that. Mm. And I'm, I think change is hard. I think, you know, when people get dismantled and are brought in, it's Mm. uncomfortable, but necessary. Mm. And so, um, we're going to see some, I think waves in terms of just like, who, who are we going to center? Um, somebody who was privileged and educated, held all, all the power and went around to conferences with their book. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's their time to support other people and lift other voices who they really leaned into to be where they are today. So I hope that happens. Um, and I plan to put my dollars and cents toward the people who are marginalized, who should be centered in my opinion, Mm -hmm. you know, that's Mm. really where, what it comes down to. Mm. I said that without saying a lot of, a lot of names, just, no, that was, I appreciated that. That is great. So we don't center certain people. No, I think that's fantastic. And, but I think that's exactly what it comes down to putting your dollars and cents, not your specifically my, you know, you're in the general, you are, um, Yeah, the collective, your dollars and cents, uh, where it belongs to center those voices that are the most marginalized to enable them to continue to, as I was, I was going to say, continue to speak their truth. That also sounds like that's asking for a lot of labor, so that's not exactly what I mean, but um, I agree with you. I just am not finding the right word right now. Yeah, hmm. completely. It feels a little like shaky right now. Like, where are we as a... Mm-hmm as a group, as a cohort, because, um, in dietetics, you know, we're the minority health at every size and intuitive eating are, Mm. are, although become more popularized, they're not centered in, Mm -hmm. um, the training and Mm -hmm. they're, they're not the majority. I would, you know, they're, they're the minority. And so now that we don't have like a leader um well I'd like multiple people to have platforms but we're in such a transition so it feels Mm -hmm. a little unsteady like where do we go where do we refer to people um Mm -hmm. 
who are learning or stepping into the space for the first time. Mm. So the part of me that is uncomfortable wants it to be solidified, but, Mm. um, you know, in that interim, I'm also grateful for the shift because it is really necessary and important. And I want it. Uh, Mm. I just wish it was like, like I said, solidified already. Like we had Mm. the book, we had the group, like, you know, like Mm. it was done. And then like, I could get more people on our team that Mm. aren't, are maybe more in the weight centric paradigm or, Mm. you know, yeah, but that's okay. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of itchy, sticky, sweaty nuance, right? All the ways in which we express our discomfort. I've been scratching my legs. It makes me itchy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, You know, I've actually, um, I've been sitting, I've been sitting in that same space and a client asked me this week, what are we supposed to do now? It's the first time I was directly asked. Mm. Um, and I chose to try to answer and I was just remembering my answer as you were saying it. And I'm going to say it again now, because I'm realizing how much I like that. I didn't have to like create some sort of like talking points to get myself to come to this. It was just more from the heart. Um, there's nothing wrong with health at every size. Its origins are from people of color, from fat activists, Uh, Black people specifically. Um, And uh, it didn't start with the author of that book. Um, It isn't going to. Lesbians. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. It started with fat black lesbians. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Rockers. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Nine years. Yes. (laughs) Um, And so we can honor that by doing all sorts of things. We can listen to fat activists. Mm-hmm. We can get that body. So in our interview with Lindley Ashline earlier in this season, I love their definitions of body liberation and fat liberation, right? We can actually acknowledge and normalize experiences in all bodies, mm-hmm. um, the fattest of bodies, right? Disabled bodies. We can normalize these experiences. Um, we can also... Um, hold a space where the most marginalized are centered in that conversation. So Lindley has that as fat liberation. I've been thinking about that. So I chose to say that to my client. It felt really, it made me itchy. I wasn't sure it was going to happen. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I felt like they were okay at their point in recovery for me to say something like that. You know, all of that stuff. I'm going to turn into a really beautiful conversation of thank you. I didn't know where to look. So I think something that is important Mm -hmm. is that clients don't know where to look. I used to look at this book. I used to look at these people. Where do I look? ASDA Mm -hmm. has a wonderful link to the history of health at every size that includes this information. Um, Yes, they're doing a good job. There are an incredible number of books, and we'll put these in the show notes again. We did at the end of last season, but we're going to do it again, which is Nikki Haggett. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I can't remember the, the name of the other person. With Vinnie so, Wellsby. Thank you. So uh-huh. Fierce Fatty uh, is their um, handle on most platforms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they talked about all the books that actually are talking about this and have been talking about this and continue to be published and talking and talk about this that are yeah. not centering the person who wrote the Health at Every Size book, right? Like there are so mm-hmm. many options. So it's like those two lists are people, places to send people. And just in general, following fat liberationists and fat <laughs> activists, right? Yeah. These might not be people with credentials. These not, might not yeah. be people with a fancy PhD who have re- 
research, quote unquote, the evidence base, quote mm-hmm. unquote, right? These are people with lived experience who have been talking about this for so, so long, right? It's just up to us to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, orientation towards liberation is really important because that's supposed to be the intention of health at every size towards liberation. How liberated can this get? Right. Mm -hmm. Some limits. It's still inside the medical industrial complex. But how close can we get? So sometimes I think that this opportunity is to look beyond health at every size as well, which are some of these other things that I'm referencing. I I love what you're putting out there, Jen, and I couldn't agree more that when people ask me for resources, it it is more sort of grassroots and individual. And the thing that I'm really itching for is something solidified that's cohesive Mm. to send people to that's streamlined but there's there there are a plethora of incredible folks out there who have been writing and speaking about these topics for years and years and years and with the internet we have access to them so supporting Mm -hmm. them is is the interim way to i mean and continuously but until we have like one place to send people to as a streamlined Mm. platform there are many different places to go and in Mm. fact that might make more sense for someone who's looking for a particular voice that speaks to them Mm. Ooh, well said yes that's a really positive reframe for someone who's like i want one place it's like no now you can look at all these other ones and see which voice really speaks to you that's a really positive way of looking at it for sure Mm. Mm-hmm. autonomous Sometimes. choice even in the voices that you listen to when i mm-hmm. i love that when people yeah are asking me for resources around a particular book on a topic i often will send a link to a podcast from an author or mm-hmm. someone who is you know an authority on a topic um and so that can give you access to yeah, just sort of the heart of it. And then you can dig deeper if you feel yeah. inclined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely mm-hmm. agree. I appreciated that reframe. And I'm going to mm-hmm. use a word I always use, which is expansive, because it's feeling, it has been feeling really contained. That's what made me think of the client yes. is that it can just feel so contained. Um, yes. And to, go in whatever direction is not the most containment feels harm reductive on a much larger scale and sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you host an eating support Instagram live through your account, um, which is at Chelsea Levy nutrition and Siobhan and I have both been on there. Um, can you describe that space and how you, something that I think is so beautiful. So I want to ask about it is how you cultivate embodiment virtually connection embodiment virtually, um, with those seeking eating support while recovering from an eating disorder. Yeah. I love that space. And it's been occurring a little less most recently, just out of being a little burnt out, but that will pick up again. And in the past several, I would say a couple of years now, we've been meeting every week, which is pretty wild. And now maybe one or two times a month, but in that space, um, people are coming from all around the world and 
know each other a little bit in the comment section, um, cheering people on the community and connection is really powerful. It's, it's palpable. And, mm. uh, I think it's about being human, like just showing up and being real. And, um, you know, I try to center and guests who are marginalized as my guests to lift their, lift them and their voice and showcase them to folks who are in need and use that space in a way like I, I do with all things. I try to bring a grounded space with levity. And so, you know, um, every week has been different, but sometimes we play games. Sometimes we, um, I don't know. It depends on the person who's come on to the the interview space, but mm-hmm. I might center them and what they are offering in the topic. But then really it's just whatever's going on in people's lives and knowing that they matter, um, showing a little piece of my self and my life and eating too. And mm-hmm. knowing that I think, I think something collective about this is that, you know, sometimes when people come into healing spaces, you know, they're, whatever's going on for them is happening to them and you're holding space for it. But this is, <laughs> this pandemic is happening to all of us, mm. clinicians and clients alike. And so um, holding space has been really meaningful for me too, to just connect with people out there when we couldn't be around each other. So mm. I think that is why it's been so powerful because it has so much meaning. Mm-hmm. That makes mm. sense. Hmm. It's really great for people, especially who live by themselves or are home by themselves a little more often than other people to have someone that they can eat with. <laughs> I think it's just really, it's really, really nice. It's a really great space. Yeah. Thank you for creating it, for cultivating mm-hmm. that. Thank you. Um, and I try to let people know, you know, whatever it is, is, is it hard to decide what you're going to make? Maybe you want to tune in while you're cooking something for yourself or picking Mm. something up or ordering in, or maybe you want to sit with me after you've eaten and you just want to hold space and not be alone with digestion and Mm. that discomfort of bloating, whatever it might be. Maybe you aren't struggling with eating, but you just are really lonely and you want connection. This place is for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a place for people who eat, which means it's a place for people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love it's that. so simple. I'm just <laughs> mm-hmm. sitting with the simplicity of it. And also like, wow, um, I know it, that we're two years into a pandemic, but I didn't really think about eating support also being for the same period of time, right? <laughs> like within one month. Um, so it's just like pretty wow. And and people who have been coming that whole time, some of that time, um, I, I personally try to go when I can, we can all use different forms of connection, um, in the pandemic. And it always surprises me how connected we can be virtually. And so yes. I think it's like, it's like the tethers between us. Like I'm showing myself reaching for these two on the video for those listening, but right. There's like these tethers between us. Um, and we can be grounded on our side with food, the experience of digestion, mm-hmm. taking care of ourselves in other ways, preparing food, whatever is showing up. I just think it's really yeah. beautiful in its simplicity. Um, something that I still do that, um, things like that remind me of is, you know, eating disorder work as a clinician can be very complex. We've talked about some of that today, but being a person and being a person who eats is not very complex. 
sometimes like sitting with how to make something is really important. That happens to be an area that we learned way more about recipes and food service things than I would have liked to know, but it does give me information, like the food aspect, loving food, cooking food, interacting with food. Um, Just sitting in a place where you can get ideas, you can feel really stuck. It's just a place for not being stuck. Mm -hmm. or being stuck, but the room is moving. So it doesn't feel like you're as stuck or any sort of thing like that. It's not just expansive. It's not just simple. It has a real direction to it. um, That's like towards people. So towards embodiment, it's also like, even if it's staying still, it's still pointed in a forward direction. I don't know quite how to say that, but there's always something really Mm -hmm. beautiful there about how people show up for each other in the comments. Um, and also how, um, as you were talking about how it's different every time, that's very true, but it's always supportive. Yeah. So that's a hard thing to continue for two years and have it still feel that way. And in fact, I would say that feeling there has grown. So that really speaks to the kind of space that you hold and continually hold and expand as well. Thank Just a you. fangirl about That's my friend beautiful. Chelsea for a minute. <laughs> I, I love, love it. it. That's really meaningful to me. And I really want to do more of them. I think the most challenging part for me is to like take the energy to book people <laughs> to come, but I yeah. would do them every week if someone was like, I'm ready to go. So I will. We're ready to go. Out there. Yeah. Just so I you eat. know, we're ready yeah. to go. <laughs> <laughs> I am a person who eats. I love that. Are you a person that eats? Do you want to eat with me live? Let's go. <laughs> That's it. It's that simple as Jen yeah. said. Yeah. One thing I actually really liked about it, uh, being a guest, it was super exciting. I was actually kind of nervous because I don't, well, it was my first time doing something like that. But um, when I when I have been able to tune in, it reminds me. I'm not a person who forgets to eat, but I don't always eat in the most structured time. So it was nice to be like, this is the time that you are going to stop what you are doing. Cause I think, especially in this, so many people are transitioning into or have transitioned into being at home. It's easy to get pulled into all this stuff. So even if that wasn't something that was discussed during it, I really appreciated that structure around it too. Not mm-hmm. in a diety way, but just like, a, Oh, I should eat. Mm. <laughs> like, I should, I should eat. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. That was nice. So, yeah. Um, you know, as I was, as I was listening, um, uh, to you say that, right. We're people who eat and we live in a productivity culture. We live in a purity culture. We live in a perfectionist culture. It's hard to eat. I want to like normalize it for every human being. It's hard to eat amongst all Mm -hmm. that shit. It's mm-hmm. hard to eat when you don't have it in your schedule. You know, one eating support session can be a, an anchor for an entire month. That's actually something I've seen evolve in the comments where it's like, remember mm-hmm. earlier this month, we said this, well, this is happening for me. And there's these beautiful continued conversations. Um, yes. And you know, an Instagram live is you and a guest are the ones who everyone can hear and see audibly and everything else is happening in the comments. They're like, there's like a little heart button, but that's, that's about it. You can pin one thing. That's it. Um, but for it to be so dynamic um, and interactive also speaks to that space that you create. I just think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just, yeah. just wonderful. Thanks for Absolutely. answering that. Yeah. And I'm serious. I will come back anytime. So you can consider that yeah. labor done. Same. You. It's an honor. I will Thank happily you. eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And eating eat is and a talk. form of embodiment. <laughs> eat and talk. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, 
I love you, Siobhan. I love you too. (laughs) Sorry, I'm getting the giggles. For our next question, um, what are ways in which conversations about embodiment, body image, and health and wellness miss the marks by letting systems or those in power, especially those with credentials, off the hook? Very, very light. Yeah. I'm really (laughs) sitting with how hard-hitting these are today. (laughs) But there's something about you, Chelsea, that just like... Yeah. I yeah. mean, I love the surfacey stuff too, but I'm always like, let's just do this. Let's just get in there yeah. and just yeah. mix it up. I Something about your energy really brings that mm-hmm. to the front. And I love that. Um, for those out there who are who are into it, I'm a Capricorn, which is a <laughs> sign that might have something to do with it. Ah, <laughs> I don't know enough about Capricorns. I'll have oh, to it does. <laughs> I, got a, I got a Capricorn moon and it just totally got what you said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... Yeah, like how are folks getting out of this? Mm. Hmm. Can you read the question one more time? I just want to like let it of course roll through my head. What are ways in which conversations about embodiment, body image, and health and wellness miss the mark by letting systems, those in power, especially those with credentials, off the hook? Yeah. So I think because we come from a weight-centric medical model, they they being folks with credentials get off the hook because they get permission from with their power from their credential and mm-hmm. from the sources that they learn from, um, they are receiving harm, right? They are receiving um information that is in fact unethical around dietetics. And mm. I can't speak for other disciplines, but I I I know I, I mean I can speak for like for med school because it's a weight-centric medical model and we know from research that's been around for several decades now that intentional weight loss uh is not sustainable and that shift causes weight cycling in in its promotion. So, uh, folks with credentials who are trying to, I don't know, promote some sort of wellness and embodiment around, um, the idea that you can just change your size, uh, (laughs) are causing harm, um, -hmm. through weight cycling cardiovascularly. And then, you know, I think it's about, folks who have credentials who are trying to do good, but not centering the people that need to be centered. That's really where Mm -hmm. I'm seeing a lot of the body positivity movement going, being co-opted by providers that are straight sized and not marginalized. And I, I think that they could do a better job in the way that they communicate and Mm. lift others Mm. who have had more oppressed experiences in their life. Um, that being said, we don't have enough clinicians out there, um, that are oppressed and marginalized, um, Mm. because they're oppressed and marginalized. (laughs) So it is like this dynamic that's really fucking hard. So, um, but we all need to do better, including myself and in my unlearning, I've learned that like, I, I can make space for more, more people. And so, I try to do that in my own way. And then 
also center my lived experience of being in a larger body um, to the best of my ability, but I'm not a monolith and my experience isn't someone else's who's fat. So <laughs> I, you know, yeah, sort of tread lightly on that one, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, those are like two sort of variables that I think about. Um, and the, the folks who aren't even trying to unlearn and that's just mm. what really fucking sucks mm-hmm. <laughs> the most. Um, so I guess we need to keep, keep putting the education through mm. and see where we can make waves and center, center more voices that need to be heard. Mm. Um, it's making me think of diversify dietetics. Yeah who's Mm -hmm. actively trying to bring um, particularly black dietitians into the field. I'm thinking of Whitney Trotter's BIPOC conference this summer in July. So about a month after this will be published. Um, And I'm also thinking of also with Whitney Trotter, the uh, BIPOC eating disorder uh, provider registry. So like centering those who do exist, bringing new people in as well. And, and I, yeah. I'm just riffing off of you saying centering them, but I'm thinking some people have really created these resources. It's just like with the Hayes conversation, there are other resources. So definitely mm-hmm. going to be in the show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that we have some great folks in our um, health at every size space or body liberated space mm. um, that are already doing this. Um and we need to be doing it more and yes. more people need to know about it and utilize these resources. So yes. I love that these links are going to be in the mm-hmm. show note. Whitney Trotter is a great resource. Diversity mm-hmm. dietetics is a wonderful resource. Mm. Um, yeah, we need, we need to see this across all disciplines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's not get off the hook. Yeah. I'd like to be on the hook. And I can tell that's very much the conversation we're having. Yes. Yes. And I think in addition to them being let off the hook, I think that this culture that we live in, where we glorify education, I mean, education is important. I don't mean to say it that way, but like we, we put this education on a pedestal. We put these credentials on a pedestal. It's not just these people who are being, taught the wrong things it's also the fact that we are like well you have these credentials so of course we're going to listen to you you must know everything more than everybody else so it's Mm. learning the wrong shit and also glorifying the wrong shit so yeah I think Mm. that's a big part of it and that comes back to like the unlearning the learning to get the credential the unlearning that happens Mm. and 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 who's doing it so that we can Mm -hmm. create more diversity Mm. in our space Mm. Or even the, you know, white supremacy culture that teaches that you have to get these credentials to even, like, talk about anything, to yes. even be a, a, quote, success, unquote, in this yes. American, mm-hmm. I'm speaking about America because that's where we are, American society. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's mm-hmm. really sitting with me right now. The, the idea that we all need to go to college and get it and get credentials. Yes. Um, yeah, really misses the mark. There's it just does. so much more to society. Um, as a whole to embody um, what makes us most alive and how we can contribute to connection mm-hmm. um, doesn't have to be one, one trajectory. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in this virtual world that a 
I hate saying benefit about the pandemic, but uh, a bright light or a spot can be um, how we can, yeah, how we can get things virtual, not to take away from things silver lining, but like let's actually add something because uh, it all sucks and all that stuff. That that not that's not correcting you. That's correcting me. Where I was immediately going to go with that. Um, that they're like Reagan Chastain has a summer series where they're going to be talking about all sorts of things related to these are people. Some of them have credentials. Some of them don't. Some of them um, have lived experience. Some of them have a past career inside the current medical weight centric model or they did. Mm-hmm. And then they left and that's their expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also um, different kinds of supervision um, mm-hmm. and that are done by people who are speaking from a fat liberationist perspective and their expertise is that they have lived this life. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's something so invaluable about that. Like there is no textbook, there is no credentials that you can get that can come close to touching that. And so I think that's mm. also important. Um, I just realized that the first thing that I said were all credential things. So I also want to name things that are not. Mm. Yeah. Cause I'm on the hook. That's, so I meant yeah. it. Same. That's, that's so important. Thank you for naming all those resources, Jen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let's do some of our wrap up questions of two wonderful interviews with you. Um, We've talked a lot about the big and small picture perspectives in this conversation. Emphasis on the big, I would say. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you think (laughs) we can all do to make a difference with what we have learned or are unlearning today? Mm. I mean, my instinct initially is to, to say, meet yourself where you are. So wherever you are out there listening to meet yourself where you are um, and hold space for that with compassion. So whether it's an unlearning on the keeping yourself on the hook or maybe um, letting yourself be centered for the Mm. first time. And that feels really hard um, holding compassion and like for all of these experiences out there. Um, But there's another way. There isn't just one way to do anything. And, and what makes you feel most alive? That's what I think embodiment's really about. Mm -hmm. Mm. Oof. That's a journal topic. (laughs) Already for me. It's like, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I love that because when we sit with such dense information and we go so deep, it can feel like, there has to be like one answer there, but people yes. can be trusted for whatever answer instinctively is showing up for them and meeting themselves where they are. I love that so much. Mm-hmm. That is so yeah. much. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, well, before I ask the last question, I want to say, I was thinking about you coming back on and I was super excited about it, obviously. And we've had some really great conversations. Like I love this podcast. Everybody knows that, but you're the only person who we were like, we can't stop talking. Let's just have you come back. And I think that really speaks to the space that you hold the, um, depth at which you speak and also 
I don't want to speak for Jen, but give us the space to speak. And like, it's not even like giving the space. There's just something about you. Like I see your face and I'm like, and here's here, just here. It's coming. It's coming and I can't stop it. So I, <laughs> I, I really, yeah, it's just like, oh, here we go. Um, but I really appreciate just the space that you hold. I, now, every time I think of you, I'm going to think of you of like this, like tethered balloon. It's like, I can see it in my head. It's like this red tethered balloon. I, what's your favorite color? <laughs> My favorite color yes. is purple. Okay, so yes! it's a purple balloon. <laughs> <laughs> but most recently, it's been a blue purple. I'm not kidding. I have to. <laughs> do you see my nails? Yes. Yes. It's, um, it's like the crayon, the blue violet crayon. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. Those look good. It's, Those look good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> thanks. But uh, yeah, so it's a purple it's, blue balloon that I will yes. see now. And it's not a yeah. competition. I'm just way too excited about favorite colors. <laughs> it's not a competition. <laughs> I love it. So thank you yeah. for that. Um, So thank you so much for being here with us. Um, As we finish up this episode today, what would you like everyone listening to know about what you're up to and how they can find you and what direction do you see your career and or work taking in the future? Yeah, thank you. It's an honor to be here for a second time. I love Mm -hmm. hanging out with both of you. And I think that being here is um, just proof that like being on the internet and connecting is is just as valuable as being in person I really like you can get you know chills and itchy and all the feelings and emotions Mm -hmm. still um occur so just Mm -hmm. grateful for this space Mm -hmm. and where can people find me and what am I doing so I'm doing a few different things I have a private practice that's virtual I'm in New York City, but I am offering services internationally and um, working with people across the United States on a virtual level. And what I am offering, um, let's see, well, any sort of nutrition counseling, uh, unlearning of sort of chronic dieting, eating disorder recovery. I also am starting to focus more on diabetes uh, gestational diabetes mm-hmm. and type one and type two diabetes are, um, also with the intersection of eating disorders, but any relationship with food, um, there that's offered. And I work with gender affirming care for trans and non-binary folks who may be doing some sort of hormone therapy and want to work on body image healing, um, or nutrition. Um, I can be found at uh, chelsealeavynutrition.com as well on um, Instagram at chelsealeavynutrition and I will be out there on uh, on the web doing my lives uh, as often as I can and will be on podcasts so keep an eye out for me and if you're interested in connecting it would be an honor to hear from you thank you just Mm, I'm oh, like hugging is, myself-ish right yeah. now just so I can <laughs> just felt the need for a hug there yeah. thank you for being with us so, you're the so best much. for coming back um, it's always wonderful to speak with you in any area of our lives and especially what an honor to have you here on our podcast yeah. so excited this has been such a gift such a gift thank you <sighs> so 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 much thank you wonderful well Thank you for being here and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to season two of the Embodiment for the Rest of Us podcast. Episodes will be published every two weeks-ish, because let's be real here, (laughs) wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find the podcast at our website, embodimentfortherestofus.com, and follow us on social media on both Twitter at Embodiment Us and on Instagram at Embodiment for the Rest of Us. We look forward to being with you again next time in conversation. <laughs>